Good morning. I hope you guys are well today. Grab your Bibles or device, turn to John chapter 15. We will read a few verses in chapter 14 at the very end to kind of give us some connection between those two chapters in just a moment. But I, where is Brad and Marcy Gasky? Where are they? They're in here somewhere. I know. Where are they? Are they around here? I don't see them. Where are they? There you are. Stand up. Stand up. Um, let, me, let me tell you who this is. This is Brad. Uh, he is my, uh, my son, and he does a lot of things around here. He's a great volunteer. And also, this is Marcy, and she is our college ministry coordinator. And, and by the way, they're having a baby. I just wanted to share that with you this morning. Okay? <clears throat> and it is a girl. Okay, it is a girl. Yes, that's, that's wonderful. And thank you. And, and so I had to reach over to, to Reba. I, I um, whispered in her ear. I said, um, do you have any money to put in the offering? And, you know, this morning, right? And so she said, no, because I've given it all to our other eight-year-old granddaughter, Emma. And so I'm thinking, what does that mean for me in the future with three girls, right? What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So um, <clears throat> any help will be appreciated here. Now, we're excited about this in our, in our life. And we just wanted, Reba and I wanted to share that with you as our, as our Hope family this morning. So I want to talk to you today about security in Christ or being secured in your relationship with the Lord. On the way to church this morning... Uh, 6 a.m., I'm sitting at the traffic light where the east-west connector simply meets that of Concord Road leaving our house. And I'm sitting there, 6 a.m., and on 6 a.m. on Sunday mornings, there's very few people on the road, you know. They're, they're, everybody's at home praying for their pastor for that Sunday morning, I know, right? And so there's very few people out, and so I'm sitting there, and there's no traffic coming down the connector. There's no traffic coming toward me on Concord Road or behind me. And, and, and the light is red. And I'm just sitting there, right, in the dark, sitting there all alone. And then I'm thinking, you know, uh, do, I, do I make a decision here? Because I've been waiting quite a while for a light that's red, but there's no cars coming in either direction. So my thought is this. Am I secure enough in this traffic light to trust it that it absolutely has my best interest at heart and I'm to wait here no matter how long even if it seems like eternity and there are no other cars around me or what is the other option or I take things into my own hands and justify my breaking the law and I drive through the red light and I go because I don't see any any people around me but really the fact is I don't see any police officers around me correct yes that is it yes so let us ask a question to kind of clear the room this morning, as we always do. So you're in that situation this morning, uh, and you're sitting there, and the light will still never turn green. There's no cars around you anywhere. So how many of you, here it is, you know what's coming, right? So how many of you would just absolutely take it within your own power to drive through the red light if nobody's watching? See? Okay, there, look, look around, keep your hands up, because these people are going to pray for at the end of the service, right? Yes. I thought about it. So what I did was this. I backed up and I drove forward. I backed up and I drove forward. So make sure I'm st- sitting on a little pad that's in the floor, on the, on the, on the road, so that, that it triggers the light. And finally, after so long that it turns green, and you know, that makes me a better person than you, doesn't it? No, that's not what this is about at all. No, that's not what it's about. No. It's about where we place our security and our trust, is what it's about. We have started this week the season we call Lent. It's 40 days before that of resurrection time, or what we know in our Western culture, we call it as Easter. And so as we take this journey through these 40 days, it leads us up to resurrection day. 
that, that I encourage you to take the things that we have studied and we've talked about throughout the Gospel of John and the things that we are going to talk about in the journey we're going to embark on this morning, and you place that over these days and over your life, and, and it gives you some really great understanding of God, and then who you should trust in, or where your security lies. And what is greater, I think, is even the foundation of your security. Because here's what Jesus does. In John chapter 14, before we get to 15, in verse 27, and I'll just paraphrase it for you, that Jesus says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And those are words of great security, right? But why does he address their hearts as if their heart is troubled? Because there is somewhat insecurity within their lives. There is some insecurity in their lives, even walking with Jesus as long as they had. And so Jesus continues to say at the end of chapter 14, he says, listen, I'm going to the Father and, and I will come again. But then he says something I think is very powerful. He says this, if you would have understood all of these things that I had told you, then you would be rejoicing, is what he says to them. So there is some trouble in their hearts. Why is there trouble in their hearts? Because they're insecure in their understanding or their relationship with him. They just don't get it, we know, until after the resurrection is what it's all about. So Jesus simply says to them that I'm going to tell you these things before they ever happen in your life so that... You may believe, is what he says. I love it that God, I just call it what it, I, I think it is, God drops us a bone sometimes, doesn't he? Yes, he knows us so well as human beings that he gives us a bone. He gives us something to hang on to, something that we can sink our teeth into. So in, again, John 14, this time verse 30, I read these two verses to you. It's not on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible or on device. But John 14 and 30 says this, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And they're about 24 hours away from all of this coming you know, into play, and he's going to be arrested. But he says this about the ruler of the world, that he has no claim on me. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. It's the whole theme of the book of John, and that is it's about Jesus making known to you and I the very heart of, of his Father, Father God. Yes. And what I love about this, God establishes who is in control of all of this. And so as we go through these 40 days of Lent together, we, and as we approach that of, of Resurrection Day, that we realize that, what seems to be out of control in these verses and in these chapters to come, there's great control because God is always in control of all things. Amen? He is always in control of all things. All life is lived through His hands. So I find great foundation for security in Christ in the fact that I know that He is in control of all things within our lives and in this world. And there is great security in that in my life. So He goes on to say in chapter 15 and verse 1, he says these powerful words to us. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So I've kind of divided <clears throat> these 11 verses that we're going to talk about into three parts for us, and they're very simple. The first is the vine, and we have to understand who that is. That, that is Christ, yes. So why would Jesus use a metaphor about vines or vineyards? Because probably very few of us in this room have a vineyard, or we own a vineyard. We don't. Where do we get our grapes? We get our grapes from Walmart or Publix or Aldi or wherever, right? We don't go out and pick them in our backyard, most likely. But there is a great cultural context, which leads to, I think, a very relevant context for our life this morning. There's something significant that Christ is not only teaching to those Jewish followers of his that day about him being the true vine, but something amazingly real for you and I this morning about the understanding of who he is. But in order to understand that, 
you and I have to take a little journey back into the Old Testament. We have to go back to what, well, books like the book of Jeremiah. And you can read this later on in chapter 2 and verse 21. I'll not read the verse. But what we realize when we read verses like this, that the Old Testament has always referred to Israel as the vine. If you were to go to the temple in Jerusalem at that time, over the the portal entering the temple, there is this massive sculpture of a vine with grapes hanging from it. And so what they always thought and what they always implied is that Israel as a nation was the vine. And and so that's the way they saw it. But when you begin to read the Old Testament, what you realize when it calls Israel the vine, it's always about a negative inference about them. In fact, Jeremiah 2 and 21 calls them a wild vine is what it calls them. Because a wild vine always produces sour grapes is what it is. So they're like a fruitless vine is what it addresses. And what that means is this, that they've missed the mark. They missed the mark. They had the law. They had the rules. They had all of those kinds of things, but they could never keep them because of their sinful nature. So they were always missing the mark. And Jesus shows up and he establishes himself as being the true vine in the face of those Jewish followers who thought they were the vine as being part of the nation of Israel. And so what Jesus does in saying this, oh, he, he sets their very teeth on edge. It's a very irritating statement to them. Because they've always seen that of the people of God as defined as a nation. They've always thought when you talk about the people of God, you've talked about Israel. But what Jesus is saying is this. No, when what you're looking at today, you're looking at me. This is the kingdom. I am the people. These are the people of God. And these guys are these girls and all of my followers. They are now the people of God. And what it does is this. It opens a door for you and I. It opens a door for you and I. And what it says also is this, that Israel was a vine that could never get it right. But Jesus comes to the true vine who makes all things right. So that when you and I mess up, so that when we don't get it right, so when you and I just fail in life, so when we make promises to God and we can't keep those promises in our life because of our sinful nature, guess what? Jesus shows up as a true vine. And when we can't make it right or get it right, Jesus comes and he gets it right and he makes it right. And that's the beautiful thing about this text. Because these five words, I am the true vine, is the gospel. It's simply the gospel wrapped up in five words for you and I, that I am the true vine, that when we could not get it right, God steps in the very mess of our lives and he makes everything right. It's a beautiful message that we find in the gospel for us this morning. In order for us to understand the rest of this text, these next ten verses, we have to get this down as a foundation for our lives. If we're going to have security in our relationship with Christ, we have to understand that he is the vine and we are not. That we are branches. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But he is the true vine. Because if you see God in any other light other than this, that he came to step in the very mess of our lives to make right what you and I could never make right within our lives. If you miss that part, then when you see the father as the vine dresser, do you know what a vine dresser is? A vine dresser shows up with shears. <laughs> That's right. Yeah? He shows up with shears to clip off the things that are harmful to the vine, to clip the branches. And if you miss this part about who Christ is, and you go to this other part where it says the Father is the vine dresser, then you see God as this punitive uh, agent within your life, that God is always looking to lob off some dead branches. God is always looking to lob your head off, so to speak. And you see God in that light. But what we realize, these five words that I am the true vine is the foundation of our security in Christ. Without that, there is no foundation. 
And I think some of you struggle with that. Yeah. We miss that part and understanding of that. So we get to the second part, and we see God with these big shears coming after us, and we see God, our relationship is always punitive. You know, we wonder sometimes, hey, I've created so many sour grapes in my life as a wild vine that, that what's going to happen to me, and how, how is God going to deal with me? How is he dealing with me? Well, it's verse 2, and this is what it says. Every branch in me, and I have to stop there to make this pause for a point because we have to understand who he's talking about that Jesus is talking about his followers. He's talking about those that have been with him these three years. He's talking about those that he broke bread with at, at the Passover meal that we call the Last Supper and others that are with him. He said, every branch in me, those that are following him, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. It's this very intimate conversation that God has with his disciples and his followers. And he's going to have with you and I because we deal with great insecurity in our lives when it comes to our relationship with him. So if he's the vine, then we're the branches. That you and I are the branches. So for a moment, can I take an opportunity, and you've never refused me in the past, and I appreciate that, I really do, right? but can I take an opportunity to talk to you about your insecurity? Mark, I don't like conversations about insecurity because they make me feel very insecure. And that's right, yes. So can I take a moment to have this conversation with you this morning? Because for some of you, insecurity in your relationship with Christ and where you stand with God, man, has been a struggle for years within your life. You know, Mark, what are you talking about? Because this conversation is making me very insecure. So the question is this, and I I put it in your notes this morning. It's on the screen. Are you secure in your relationship with Christ? That's a huge question. Are you really secure in your relationship with Christ? Are you, let me break it down. Maybe Are you secure in your salvation? Or are you living out every moment of your life in fear that somehow you have produced so many sour grapes when it comes to being a branch on the vine that somehow you have bankrupted your grace account with God as if one of them exists? A question that people ask me often is this. Can I lose my salvation? Wow, that's a huge question, isn't it? Yes, you kind, of, you kind of feel a gasp in the room when you say, can I tell you by answering that with another question? I love that Jesus always did that, so I think I can do that right. When they would ask him a question, he would answer that with another question. I think when, you, when he asks those kinds of questions, sometimes it's a wrong question to ask. I think we should be asking questions about how can I grow in Christ? How can I grow in the love and the mercy and uh, the, the light of those things within my life? Not that, oh, can I lose my salvation? Because when people ask me that sometimes, I think, you know, what are you really asking me for? Are you looking for a way to just something that you're doing are you or are you trying to white knuckle your relationship with God by living this out under your own power and your own ability is that what you're doing because that's going to bring great insecurity in your life understand that no or is simply that you've tried and you failed and what is God, God going to do to me since I've tried and failed can I tell you something and this I think lays the foundation for security in our relationship with God this morning is this. It's just that that assurance that you seek in that relationship with God is not based upon your decision to follow Him. Understand that. 
It's not based on your position to follow. Some of you, you're living after that moment when you came to the front of the church or you shook the pastor's hand or you sit in your seat in that moment that you made that decision to follow him, that that's simply the foundation of your relationship with God. And it's far more than that. It's not based on that. It's not based on your ability or your will or your power to maintain that relationship. It's not that at all. Our continued relationship with Christ this morning is simply founded and sustained by his graciousness and his faith. Understand that. It's not you and it's not me. No, grace, love, grace simply drives. Grace drives my obedience in Christ, my desire to follow God. And in those moments when I fail in that following God, they're all covered by that of the perfection of Jesus, his son, because of his work upon the cross in my life. When we read this statement in John chapter 2, when he, when he simply puts in the same statement that those follow me, but they're not bearing fruit, then I'm going to cast them out. It's more about you and I and how we reject Christ and Christ rejecting us because God never lets us escape from his love. Did you know that? He never lets you and I escape from his love. His disposition toward you and I, he always pursues us with love even when we seek to reject him. Understand that. When, when, I, when I read this text, I go back to two weeks ago, this Passover meal in Jerusalem. Jesus is reclining there at the table with all of his disciples. And, and he stands up and he drops his robe and he girds himself with a towel, the scriptures say, says. And he begins to wash all of the disciples' feet, even Judas and Peter. Judas has already conceived this act within his own heart and his own mind. But yet Jesus loves all of them equally. Maybe I didn't need that, right? Oh, thank you, brother. You are blessed, my friend. Thank you. Ah, May God add more children to your quiver, brother, for that. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know my prayer's not answered. (laughs) But God loves them equally. He loves all of us equally. He does, yes. But he, listen, here's the thing. But he affords them... He affords them the freedom to accept or reject him. I think that's what we have to understand. I think the greatest act of a sovereign God in our life is to afford, and that's a whole sermon within itself, I realize that, is to a loving God is to afford you and I the opportunity to reject or receive him. And so he affords that to bat of Judas and Peter that day. No, nothing stands in the way of his love for us. God made up his mind to love you and I before the foundations of this earth were ever laid. So what are we waiting for? And I thought, if God is the vine and the father is the pruner, then what is, what is he pruning? You know, when he shows up in my vineyard with these big set of clippers, then, then, then what is he pruning? And we could make this huge list of things that we say, oh, he's pruning within our life. And I would say that none of them are wrong. I would say none of them are wrong. Maybe that you say it's, well, it's unforgiveness in my life, or maybe it's pride within my life, or lust, or it's an addiction. It's addiction in my life. And can I tell you, all of those things are correct. But can we go to the thing under all of those things? Can we go to this underlying thing that, that simply lurks in many of our lives today that is the underlying aspect of unforgiveness or pride or lust and addiction? And that is that I believe that God is pruning our insecurity away from our lives in our relationship with Him. Is what this is about. 
Because if you look at the disciples, he's already said to them, let not your heart be troubled. He knows there's some insecurity in his life, and he begins this whole teaching with them on the heels of that because they're insecure in their relationship with him. And when you're insecure in your relationship with Christ, then it enslaves you, it enslaves you to works because you're always going to try to work to make him love you more. Is what you're going to do. And so the more I work, the more I'm loved, and the more I'm loved, the more I'm valued. And you've confused God with your employer, and you've confused God with your professor at school. No, the Father prunes away in order for you and I to bear more fruit, is what he does. And I think before I bear more fruit in my life, that I have to deal with this issue of my insecurity and my relationship with him. I have to come face to face with that. Because if not, I remain enslaved in works. I remain enslaved in that of I've got to make this work and I've got to make God love me and, I, and I've got to make God value more, me, more in my life. And, and that's not the case at all. No. Because what I realize in that him being the true vine is he came to do in my life what I could never do. Because I could never save myself. I, 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 I could never bring forgiveness in my own life. I could never fix myself. So Jesus came into my life to do what I could never do, to grow me into the individual that he has designed for me to become in life. So the Father prunes me that I may grow. And I may grow more fruit, the scripture says. So what fruit is he talking about? I was curious about that, you know. And it's not bananas and it's not apples and it's not oranges and it's not those kinds of things. So what fruit is he talking about? And I began to read and I began to look and, and look at the words that are used here. And what I realized, it's, 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 at the, it's what's at the very heart of our Christian witness. It's, it's our ethics. It's how we live out our lives. It's how we incorporate God in every aspect of our life, day in and day out. If you want to get really specific about, I think, some things that are, that are those fruit, then what? You have to go to Galatians, right? It's where the fruit of the Spirit is, is mentioned to us. Galatians 22 and 23. He says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. It's, there's no witness apart from these things in our life. There's no ethics apart from all of these things within our lives. These are the work of the Spirit in our life. And we will always struggle with love because some of us are hard to love. Can we say amen? Yes, we are at times. Yes. Some of us are difficult to love. So, uh, patience is a struggle. Some of you this morning, you, you had no patience at the traffic light, right? We proved our point, correct? Yes. Yes. Or kindness uh, or, or goodness, faithfulness. No, none of those things, none of we struggle with those things when we're always leaning into ourselves. When we're always leaning into ourselves. Our insecurity in our life is a result of who we trust in and who we're not trusting in. And when we are trusting in our own ability to make our relationship with God work or to make our relationship with God fruitful or to make it healthy within our lives, then can I tell you, then you're always going to live under this cloud of insecurity with your relationship with God because we're always going to fail ourselves. That's our track record. Understand that. So, Mark, in the service, I want to come up here and, you know, and I just want to just, God to just kind of stick all this in me and I want all this to happen and, and I want to walk away extremely secure in God and, and I'm going to be the most patient, loving person, all that kind of. Can I tell you, it takes some time. It takes some time. When our boys were young, 
and we would go on a trip, you know, and uh, we, we would put him in the back seat, Chad and Brad. That was before time of Grayson. That was uh, pre-Grayson time. And, and so we would put him in the back seat, and we would start on the journey. And then all of a sudden, no, you know, 30 minutes down the road, an hour down the road, you know, all of a sudden we begin to hear these voices from the back seat, right? And, and so we begin to hear things like they're complaining or there's multiple requests for bathroom breaks or there's cries of starvation from way back there in the back seat because they're always hungry. And, and we would hear this appalling statement formed in the very roots of wickedness. We would hear it from the back seat and that statement was always, are we there yet, right? Yeah. Are we there yet? And it was never said once. I do believe it is a true work of the devil. It is, because it was never said once, but it was said multiple times. Are we there? It's a way for them to break you down, is what it is. They're trying to get in your head, is, is, is what they're trying to do. Are we there yet? And so we'd hear things like, I'm tired, my back hurts, the seatbelt is too tight, I can't lay down with his seatbelt on, Brad's looking at me, Chad's touching me, I can hear one other breathing back there, and, and, and that is really bothering me. Are we there yet? And you want to pull over on the side of the road and say, yeah, you guys are here right now. Get out, you know, and you drive off and you leave it. But you can't do that, right? Our spiritual life this morning is much more, I read this somewhere, our spiritual life is much more like a crock pot than it is a microwave. That's so spiritual, isn't it? Don't you love that? Yes, that it's much more like a crock pot this morning than, than it is a microwave because it takes time. This is a journey. It's going to take time as the Spirit works in your heart and your life. The Holy Spirit works in the fruits of your life as God begins to prune you. It's going to take some time within your life. He does that in love within us so that you can love others when they're unlovable and you can be patient and you can be kind and you can be merciful in other people's life. But but here is our struggle. It's your backseat experience with God. That's what you're insecure about because what does God do with me until I get there? Does God ever have the notion to pull over on the side of the road and just let me out so he can get some peace and quiet. Does God ever have that notion? And it's no. Because verse 3 says this to you and I, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You're not clean because of the things that you've done, he's saying to his disciples. Because he can, place, he can make this list of things that they did wrong, right? But you're not clean because of the things you've done, but you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It's the same thing that Jesus says to Peter when he's washing the disciples' feet. And he goes to Peter and he says, man, paraphrasing, I'm going to wash your feet. And he says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And then Jesus says, you'll, then you'll have no, no part of me, Peter. And Peter says, wash my head and wash my hands also. And Jesus says, that's not necessary, Peter, because you are already clean. You're already clean amidst his denial, amidst all of his pride. Why? Because Jesus is the true vine and I am a branch. So I no longer have to struggle or fake it as trying to be the vine. And you're going through life and you're trying to be the vine when God has established you as a branch. Understand that, that you're trying to be the source of all of this within your life. So I'm a branch and when I don't get it right, I'm still connected to the vine. Understand that. That I'm loving Jesus 
while he's loving me by pruning me. So give yourself some time. Give yourself some time this morning. Give yourself a little grace within your life. Oh, that sounds good. Then Jesus drops the mic on us well, on, this, on this next verse, starting at verse 4, because he reminds us, hey, all this stuff is really great that I'm talking to you about, but here is the deal, guys. None of, this, none of this is possible apart from me. It's the foundation of our security in him. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's wonderful. I love that. But if there's mercy, then there always has to be judgment. Because they're because they 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 can, they coexist with each other. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So here's the thing. This is what we call union with Christ. It's a theological term. If he's the vine, that's Christ. Then we are the branches, that's us. Then this union with Christ, where those two are brought together. It's the mystery of Christ in us. And it is a great mystery. How does this work that I'm in him and he's in me? Because we struggle with that idea of union with Christ. Because why would God want to live within me? Why would he want a relationship in the brokenness of my life? We struggle with that idea. And so it goes back to what needs to be pruned. It's my insecurity in God based upon the fact, based upon the fact that I really don't know his character and his nature. And if you look at the disciples, man, that was always their issue with Jesus. Because this knowledge in their life, it's not there. It's not there. Of all the things that he has told them, yet their heart is still troubled because they're insecure in what's going to happen after he's gone. The, this love is not characterized in their life. Why? Because they're not there, that God is working on them. God is working on them. I came across a question in, in something I was reading some years ago. And this, this writer, he posed this question, how do we react with people we've harmed? How do, not, not that people that have harmed us, but how do we react with people that we have harmed or we have hurt? You know, oh, oh, this is what you do. You take them to lunch. Can I tell you, take your angel wings off for a moment. That's not what you do, right? Those people that you have hurt or harmed, you're not going to call them up and say, well, I'm just going to invite you. You know what you do? You avoid them. You avoid them because of your insecurity and how they're going to react when you have a face-to-face with them that you absolutely avoid them within your life out of insecurity. So I thought about this this week. That, That I've harmed you. You know, I, I, I've said something to you. I've done something to you. I've broken your confidence or whatever, but I've, I've harmed you, but you've done nothing to me. So I come to church this morning, right? And, and I come in the front door. Unbeknownst to me, you have now volunteered to be a greeter, right? Yes. And, and so I get on the, the, the front steps of the church. I see through the glass doors and I say, oh man, there you are. There, there you are, the person that I have harmed. You've done nothing to me, but I've harmed you. So there you are. So what do I do? Oh, I man up and come to the door. No, that's not what I do. No, absolutely not. I do an about face. I turn around. Somebody says, hey, where are you going? And what you say to them is this. Oh, I forgot my Bible in the car. You don't bring your Bible to church. You know that, right? So 
so you go through the parking lot searching for unlocked cars to steal somebody's Bible they've left in their car, right? Yes. It's not stealing, it's borrowing. Yes. And you stick it under your arm, you find a side door to come in because you avoid the person that you have harmed. You come in here, you sit through worship, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart. You see, Mark, how does that happen? You know because we're all spiritual beings. You, you know when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. The teaching comes and, and then your mind begins to wonder during this time. Can I tell you that's a tactic of the enemy or that's just bad preaching? I would prefer to think it's a tactic of the enemy. Wouldn't you? Yes. So we'll call it that. It's a tactic of the enemy. There are areas that the Holy Spirit shows in your life that needs to be pruned away, especially your insecurity in your relationship with Christ. And what do you do? You begin to plan your exit from here. Is what you do. Because what I realize about my life personally and all of our lives in this room, because I'm not very different than any of you, is that we're very capable and very gifted of avoiding God as we are each other. And you're avoiding God for the same thing and same reasons that you avoided that person at the front door this morning because you have harmed him, you feel, in some way. And you are insecure in your relationship because you really don't know his character and nature, so you don't know what he's going to do to you in this backseat experience in your life because you're not there yet. Well, Mark, only people that are just walking with Christ, you know, for a very short time are, are insecure in their relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you, that's a lie. I don't believe that at all. There are people in this room that have been following Christ for years as the disciples had been, yet you are still extremely insecure in your relationship with him because you're leaning and pressing into yourself and not him. And then Jesus says, hey, you can't do this on your own. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. So what do I do? It's what he said when he started out the verses that we just read. He said, he said simply that if you abide in me and I abide in you. And what does that mean? And so I was so curious about that. That, that I began to really look at that. And, and, and what, I, what I believe that means is this. That it doesn't mean that you and I become perfect. Because that's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen until he returns. I want to tell you. It's, it's not going to take place. But what that means is this. That I'm engaging with him. I'm continually engaging with him. Even when I get it wrong. Even when I mess up. Even when I have broken promises to him. Even when I have failed in those areas. I said I would never fail again in my life. But I fail again. That I'm continually engaging with God. I'm engaging with him. And, and what I realize is this insecurity in my life, this insecurity in my life will always keep me from bearing these kinds of fruits that Jesus has been talking to us about. Because the mystery in all of this is simply not the logistics of God living within us. The mystery of all of this is why would God want to live within us? And the answer to that is because he loves us. Is because he loves us. Can I tell you that God does not just react to all of your mess ups in life? 
Have you ever read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4? It talks about union with Christ. And, and, I, and I gave you in your notes a bunch of other scriptures that you can go home and read. But it says, even as he chose us in him, that's union in Christ is what that is, as he chose us in him before the very foundation of the world, that God does not just react to the mess-ups of your life. God decided before the very foundations of this world was ever laid that he would love you no matter what you do in life. No matter what. And if you can grab that, if you can place that deep within your heart, in your soul, your spirit, and that, that comes out in the way that you live your life, that is the firmest foundation that you will ever find in this world that continually shifts beneath our feet. That's security. Can I finish this with you this morning? Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John Piper asked this question. He said, what comes first, my obedience to Jesus or my joy in Jesus? And I thought, though, that's a great question. What comes first, my obedience to Jesus or my joy in Jesus? Because if my obedience leads to joy in Jesus, then have we not made, have we not made that a thing of works within our lives? Have we not turned out our obedience to be that of a thing of works? If I'm continually working my way to joy, and isn't that the very elements that make me secure, insecure in my life already? That we join the Lord and not the act of obedience. It's not about that of just always living our life, living our life under this heavy load of always trying to get it right. So I wrote this this week in my journal. Because I have a long church history. And I love the, I love the church. I, I, I love the church tremendously. Mark, you should. You're a pastor. Yes, I know. I, I understand that. But, but I, I love the church even beyond that. But what I realize is, and I wrote this in very light of my own background, that the church has told people for centuries, if you'll just stop doing this, then you'll have joy in your life. We've told people for centuries, listen, if you'll just stop having these thoughts, then you're going to have joy in your life. And if you just come to the altar on a Sunday morning and you lay these things down up here on these steps, then then you're going to have joy in your life. And what I realize as I read Scripture more and I become more acquainted with God and, and engage with Him more within my life, what I realize is the truth is this. If I turn my eyes on Jesus, if I turn my eyes on the wonder of His love for me, if I turn my eyes on His inexhaustible grace for my life, then the fruit of joy happens in my life. Because joy starts in how I see Jesus, not how I live. Because the war of my life this morning and the war of your life today is not of better behavior. It's not just you're going to do things you know, better. It's not that you're going to be a nicer person. You're going to be a kinder person. That's not the greatest battle. The greatest battle of my life and your life is that to look upon Christ, to rest in Him, to be secure in who He is. That's the greatest struggle of our lives. That's union with Christ. 
and it drives out the insecurities of our lives. That I'm no longer avoiding him because I'm the offender. I'm the one that's hurt him. That I'm no longer avoid him, but I'm running to him. Because I know his character and I know his nature. Because he's the vine. That he came to do what I could never do. So that I could be numbered in those of the people of God. What does God want me to know? That my insecurity is is based on not seeing Jesus as he really is. I, I wrote this this morning in pencil. He's the vine and I am not. I'm not. I'm not the source. I'm not the source this morning. He is the source. What does, God, what does God want me to do? That was what God wants me to know. What does God want me to do? To abide in Him. To engage with Him this morning. To engage in knowledge and study. To engage in prayer. To en- engage in, in, in living a, a life of generosity with others. To making Him known. To not just being a disciple and saying my disciple. But that of making disciples of others around me. To engage with Him. Because what I realize is that my security isn't found in me and the things I can do, but yet my security today is found in him being the vine that he came to do what I could not do in this world. And so he said to those people that day, as, as he said, I'm the vine, what he said to that crowd that was around him today, it's not a nation, it, it's, not your, you know, it's not your ethnicity, it's not any of those things, it's not how good of a home that you were raised in or not, it's not if the Bible was the center of your home or not, and that's absolutely wonderful, it, it's not that at all, but it's me, he says. And the beautiful thing about, I love this, and he said also, and it's all of these, this motley crew, not the rock band, but it's the motley crew that's behind me, yes. It's all these guys that never get it right. It's all these guys that live in insecurity. It's all, all, all these guys and these girls that are struggling because if they would have listened to things that I had said, Jesus said they would be rejoicing. No, this, these are the people of God. There has to be some great security in that for you and I this morning. So for a moment of prayer and reflection, would you bow your heads, please? Father, if these are the things that the disciples struggle with, that we know that they were given to us in Scripture as a, as a mirrored picture of who we are in life. Good and bad. So, Father, in this room are your children who many of them struggle in a life of insecurity with their relationship with you. And God, there are all kinds of indicators and there's all kinds of influencers in that. And Lord, you know our lives. You you know where we come from. You know all those things about us. You know our hearts and our brokenness. And so, Father, we live under this heaviness at times in our life that if we produce enough sour grapes that somehow that we bankrupt our grace account with you. And Father, you have reminded us again through these 11 verses.
that nothing stands in the way of your love for us. Nothing. That you love us all equally. You wash all of our feet. And we can't run, we can't hide from your love this morning. That our security is not based into how well we do and how many times we get it right because you don't keep score. But our security today is based in that of your faithfulness and your graciousness within our lives. And so we lean into that this morning in those moments when we don't get it right, in those moments when we lose our temper, when we promise we would never lose our temper again, in those moments when we say harsh things to those that love us, and we had purpose in our heart to never do that again. God, in those moments, your grace is great in our lives. So, Father, let this be like an ocean of grace this morning. Flood over our lives. May today, you as the vine dresser, the pruner, prune away our insecurity in you as we engage in you more within our lives daily. So thank you, Father. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives this morning. In your name.